HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. I'm so pleased to finally be on the phone, on the radio, in the air, with Dan Kittredge, whose um, reputation has been spreading throughout the country as he is now the chief evangelist of bionutritious foods and focusing on soil health for nutrition of the foods that grow in there. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Severin, and a, a pleasure to finally speak to you as well. Yeah. So you grew up in a in a farm in a, a activist organic activist farmer. Tell us how did you uh, a household? How did you come into this work um, that you're in now? And what are and what are you up to? Yeah. Well, um, uh, my parents were back to the lenders to some extent, I suppose. They were community organizers in the 70s um, in, in Boston, in Dorchester, 
where I was born. Uh, my mother grew up on a farm in Illinois, and the, the story goes: she told my father that the kids were going to be raised on the on the land, and he could come al- come along if he wanted to. Um, <laughs> they uh, they proceeded to save up some money and and buy a piece of land in central Massachusetts. It was a you know a field and some forest, and they built a house and um, had a, a homestead. Um, you know where certified organic in the mid 80s um you know started farmers markets in the 80s you know csas in the i think first csas in the late 80s early 90s um you know uh passive solar uh wood stove uh root cellar the whole the whole shtick um they were you know not uh good enough farmers to make a living doing it and basically um made their living running an organization called NOFA, which people in the Northeast are familiar with. My mother's the executive director of the state chapter and my father's the editor of the Natural Farmer, which is the journal. Um so yeah, steeped in the organic movement, I suppose, uh as a background. Um when I got married eleven years ago I had been managing my parents' farm in the summer and traveling the world and being an activist for the rest of the year um, and uh, came to terms with the fact that I wasn't able to make a living and uh, had no other viable skill sets besides farming. And I thought maybe if organic was supposed to be so good, then maybe my plants should be doing a little more well than they were, not succumbing to various diseases, et cetera. Um, And so, you know, started to, from a very self-interested perspective, try to understand how to be a better farmer so I could make a living and then have to work all the time. I like farming, but um, I don't like working all the time. I did enough of that as a kid. So, um, you know, started researching and reading books and going to conferences. I got involved working for an organization called Remineralize the Earth, um, went to the ACUS conferences, went to, you know, see you know, three-day seminars and started practicing and, you know, came to a place where, as a farmer, I could make, you know, um, more money working less, you know, have my potatoes not edible to Colorado potato beetles and flea beetles don't eat my brassicas. And I just, you know, the healthier your plants are functionally, um, the the more productive they are uh, and the lower your cost of production is. And that correlates actually with flavor and aroma and nutritional value. So... Um, there just seems to be this really nice nexus point there where um, working coherently with the land, growing healthy plants actually gives you a better living and actually can heal people and, um, you know, do all the other cool things like sequester carbon and obviate the need for agrochemicals and pharmaceuticals. And, you know, the, the implications of growing healthy food are really exciting in my activist sort of streak. It's really um worked up <laughs> talking about all this kind of stuff. So so I like to say I make enough money farming that I only have to work half time and so I spend the rest of my time running an organization called the Biodiversity Trade Food Association. It's a I think we're six or seven years old. It's an NGO, you know, five one C three nonprofit. Um and our objective is to increase quality in the food supply. We understand that by um, increasing nutritive value of food, we actually also uh, help sequester carbon and clean up the aquifers and, you know, not need uh, chemicals and all those other kind of things. So we've, we've we focused on quality, nutritional value, flavor, and aroma, that sort of ne- nexus point as hopefully a high ground that the food movement can 
coalesce around um, to achieve our, our collective endeavors. That's probably enough to get started. Yeah, wow. And, um, you know, what I've been hearing is from people who have come to your workshop, actually my friend Dina, she's, you know, she's a really skeptical Yankee. You know, she's really one foot in front of the other. She doesn't, she doesn't go in for any woo-doo stuff. And she signed up for your class kind of thinking she was going to poo-poo it, and she came away just being completely um, delighted by what she learned there. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the results are that occur from improving the health of the soil from a farmer's perspective and, and maybe just a little teaser on what are you teaching in these workshops? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even talk about the workshops. I talked about the organization. Um, yeah, well, so the core of the organization has been really grassroots word of mouth spreading of our two-day course, which is, um, you know, we walk people through the growing season and sort of say, you know, from a really practical standpoint, for starters, how do plants grow? You know, how do they evolve? What, you know, I, do, you want me, do you want to go into agronomy or do you want to talk meta strategy and stuff like that? Where do you want to go with this conversation? You can do some agronomy. I think agronomy is a good plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like to start with, with uh, you know, photosynthesis in the leaf. And, you know, everybody knows that leaves are green because they're full of chloroplasts. And in the chloroplasts, we have this process by which carbon dioxide and um, water and sunlight get converted into sugar and oxygen, and the oxygen is off-gassed into the air and we breathe it, and the sugar um, in nature, in healthy plants, a majority of it is injected into the soil. It's not used by the plant to grow its body. It's actually injected into the soil to feed bacteria and fungi because in nature there's no fertilizer, and plants have evolved the capacity to feed themselves by feeding the soil life, and the soil life is the ones who can go out and solubilize the nutrients and do all kinds of other cool stuff and functionally feed the plant. And so if you understand that and you can create the environment where that will occur, then um, you can stand back and let the soil life do your work for you, growing your plants. You lower your need for inputs or remove it pretty much um, over time. And... um, Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of biochemistry we can go into where, um, you know, healthy plants have these compounds and that make them indigestible to uh, insects and, you know, it make the cell walls in, impenetrable to fungal infestations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, if you had a flesh-eating fungus, or I like to say if, a, if I was raising chickens and they had a flesh-eating fungus, um, it would be unethical for me to slaughter them and sell them. I would never do that. Um, but... We have cucumbers that have powdery mildew or summer squash that has powdery mildew that is basically a flesh-eating fungus that we as farmers, um, you know, in good conscience, harvest and sell. Um, if if you're being eaten alive by a flesh-eating fungus, that's a sign of very poor health. We don't think about it when it pertains to plants, but we understand it intuitively as it pertains to animals. If you were being eaten alive by maggots, that would be a sign of something being wrong. When your potato plants are being eaten, eaten by you know, Colorado potato beetles, they're functionally being eaten alive by maggots. That's nature telling you something if you don't listen. And killing the disease or killing the insect doesn't solve the problem. Creating the environment for the plant to be healthy solves the problem. Um, so the course is really a series of, we walk people through the growing season, explain basic principles of biological systems, what does life need to function. It's really rudimentary, air, water, 
you know, sugar, organic matter, uh, minerals, and the different species of life themselves. And once those components are present and you manage for them, um, you can you can really be, uh, you know, you can live the life that we envision of of working in more in harmony with nature and actually being more productive. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a long conversation, but um, we do it in a two-day course, I think, fairly coherently. But um, that's really been what's been building the organization is our is our courses, and we've got we've been doing them all across the country now and in Canada. And um, yeah, well, and isn't the there something about that. how the bug? I mean, isn't there something about how the bug or the flesh-eating fungus, the pest pressure, is exerting itself against the genetics of the plant and the plant? has to respond and actually produces alkaloids and polyphenols and all sorts of whoozy whatsies that have names I can't remember that ultimately yes. result in better nutrition for the human. Like, you don't want some lazy lettuce that never had to deal with anything in its life. You, you'd much rather eat kind of like a lumberjack-type lettuce or a coal miner lettuce that's had a lot of stress. We, I, mean, yeah, I mean, so the question is, do plants produce these compounds simply when they're being attacked, or is it a, a, a corollary of healthy plants? And the conventional story is that they, you know, produce these plants when they're attacked, and that is true. But I think it's also true that it's, if they're getting everything that they need to function, they will build those compounds as part of their inherent nature. So, um, yeah, either way, um, there does seem to be a really nice correlation between those alkaloids and terpenoids and phenolics and all those fancy-sounding Compounds which correlate with flavor and aroma and nutrition. It seems that you know the what is it like thirty percent of our DNA is evolved to support the function of our nose and tongue, some massive quantity. Um, well, because we're animals and our animal instinct is our ability to taste and smell, and what tastes good to us is good for us, and what doesn't taste good to us is not good for us. It's so rudimentary. We're like don't even talk about it, and. My point is, you know, coming from the background of an organic farmer, if your organic carrots don't taste good, they're not good for you. I don't care if they're organic. If your local, you know, tomatoes don't have flavor, they're no good for you. I don't care. Uh, we we as farmers must be humble about how good of a job we're actually doing. Um, and, um, you know, we have a responsibility to provide nourishment. That's what we're doing. We're not growing pounds and bushels. We're growing food. It's a Hippocrates was it first do no harm, then let food be thy medicine? You know, I mean, I think we can look at this whole issue from so many different angles. Um, you know, the human health epidemic that we've got going on nationally and globally, I think, has a lot to do with the nutrition in our food, which is much diminished because we're growing plants that are functionally on steroids. They're not growing well. They're, they're, they're volume, but not nutrition. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I go off on tangents. <clears throat> No, it's okay. So, I mean, what do the nutrition people say? I mean, do, are, do you have, like, a, a another flank to your bio-nutrition scene that are the nutritionists and the public health practitioners? I know that um, Christine Jones from Australia says that the Australian government has been testing the vitamin content of food since... Um, in the 40s, I believe, and the the, the vitamin, the, the nutritional content has just gone down and down. Um, the USDA has been testing it. Test. The Japanese have been testing it. The the British have been testing it. Yeah, it's categorical. The average nutrient level in crops has been diminishing dramatically over time, which correlates with 
yeah, flavor and health-giving attributes. It correlates with what we call now conventional lag. Um, it correlates with uh, hybrids and seeds that have been bred to, you know, ship well but not to taste good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we have uh, – we're – we're a very small organization, right? I mean, we're very grassroots. We don't have a big budget. We're all working part-time. Um, and um, we have, you know, come from the farming side, but we have our, our annual conference. It's called the Soil and Nutrition Conference. And we're trying to say to people, hey, guys, you know, we're all on the same team here. We're all working on the same objective. How about we, we come together around this? And so we're developing that nutrition and human health side. It's, it's not our strong suit. Um, but the idea is that there's a there's a, a middle ground where everybody who's involved in food, um, we all really have similar interests, and our and our our pitch is to say, hey guys, the quality of the food that matters. I don't care if it's biodynamic or permaculture or local or organic or whatever. The question is, how good does it taste? Because that's how nutritious it is, and you only get that flavor when you have a well functioning soil microbiological ecosystem, which is you know, <clears throat> says you can't use sides when you use sides and you're killing things and you don't get the flavor. So, so we have this this fantasy which may come to pass sooner than later, which is to give consumers the ability to test quality at the point of purchase, whether it's a grocery store, or a farmers market, or whatever. You can literally flash a light at a cucumber and it'll tell you the relative nutrition in it. You can, you know, three bags of carrots to choose from the grocery store. You know, flash of light, first one, boop, boop, crap, boop, crap, boop, decent, and you choose a decent bag of carrots off the shelf. And Wait a minute, know, wait a minute. Who if we can use economic, economic incentives, economic leverage, we can actually turn a lot of things around real fast. And we're not fighting anybody. We're just using people's self-interest. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where does the, um, who has that machine... And what is uh, there's at? various of them in, in development. Uh, spectroscopy is the is the is the sort of the science. The but you know every thing in chemistry is a vibration in oh, physics. Oh yes, that's what the public labs are doing. They're using spectroscopy. It's like an old. Various people are working on this. Yes, yes. They're basically looking at the way that the light refracts through the different. Um, Compounds well, basically, minerals. every element has a vibratory frequency, and every compound has a vibratory frequency, and you can and the bonding angles, and you can go into physics. But functionally, you can flash a light at something, and based on reading the light that bounces back, you can see what it is. Wow! And can you imagine when all of the when the hot, angry mess, when all the moms start discovering what percentage of the food and <laughs> has got glyphosate on it, and has got and I don't even talk about toxins because I'm actively trying not to fight or say bad things. I'm only talking about nutrition. But, you know, the hotter you mess when you realize how devoid of nutrition your organic carrots are. Really, we're just and trying to focus on the solution, which is if you can choose quality, imagine going to the farmer's market and flashing a light at, at the tomatoes and choosing which farm to buy from based on which tomatoes have the best flavor. Holy smoke. Well, and the thing is that those people with those funny watches, those eye watches and smart yeah. readers and everything, those are the people who are going to be buying those little sensors first, and those are people who are who are top-dollar spenders. 
Although and, they're and going the to have to get out of their bed and a couple hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks for, for a consumer. It's not like it's going to be totally expensive. But, you know, think about, I mean, we talk to Whole Foods, talk to Trader Joe's, talk to, you know, whatever your, your, your supply chain people are, and they don't want to be caught with their pants down providing crops that are subpar. So they're going to, they're going to push their growers to grow healthier, more nutritious crops. We can, we can use economic self-interest to facilitate carbon sequestration, to facilitate all these systemic solutions we're looking for. I didn't talk about the carbon piece. I should probably, I referred to it three or four times. Um, when you have healthy plants making sugar and injecting it into the soil, they're taking carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it into the soil. If you talk to Elaine, uh, sorry, not Elaine, um, Christine Jones, you know, we can, we can sequester half a percent organic matter per acre per year simply through that process. And you do that out on six and a half billion acres of land on the planet, and you can sequester 120 ppm CO2 in like three and a half years. It's ridiculous. We can solve, we can solve <laughs> problems through eating food that tastes good. That's the upshot. We don't need to fight uh, people. We don't need to talk you're trash. You're a lot of Dorn, uh, Dorn Cox. Dorn, uh, Dorn, Dorn Cox. Yes. Yes. He and I have spoken. Okay, good. So let's talk about when is your next uh, workshop and how do people who are interested to get on board do so? <laughs> Uh, I'll be in Burlington, Vermont tomorrow. I'll be in Michigan in a couple of weeks. I'll be in California in the middle of June. I think I'm in New Jersey around the beginning of June. I, um, our, the organization is uh, the Bionutrient Food Association, Bionutrient, one word. It's a, it's a term we create out of thin air to refer to those compounds in food that correlate with flavor and aroma, bionutrients. And the question is, what is the level of bionutrients in your crop? that correlates with the flavor and the aroma and the health-giving attributes. Um, and so it's bionutrient.org. Um, generally, the courses are held in the fall through the spring. We like to do day one in the fall and day two in the spring, but I live in Massachusetts, and if I'm going to go give a course in Colorado, I'm going to do two days together. I'm not going to fly out there twice. So um, people can, uh, you know, I mean, it's all grassroots. We don't set things up. People say, we want to have a course, and we say, great. Um, so anybody who wants to have a course should contact us, and um, and you know this process. I go. I'll generally go out and give an introductory lecture for free, hour and a half, two hours to the public to help drum up support. We need to have twenty or twenty five people to make it worth worth doing. But um, it's 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 grassroots. It's word of mouth. It's we don't we don't do it. We're very you know bottom up. So this would be a great thing for any of the Young Farmers Coalitions, of which I think there's now 27, or any yeah. range or community group or CSA community or, you know. Yeah, we've been monastery. collaborating with a lot of really cool organizations around the country. It's so much fun. There's so many cool people, as you well know, doing amazing stuff all over the country. Um, yeah, it's great fun. Yeah, you know, we don't even really need the Internet. We could just call each other. <laughs> What's that? Well, it's really fun talking to you, and I'm so impressed with um, your evangelical spirit, and I know that <laughs> there's a lot of virtuosity, especially in looking at a lot of these old homesteads. I've been taking pictures of um, of old illustrations for the Almanac, which is coming out in November, and looking at just the guest the wisdom and the um, intuition that was informing a lot of these agri ag the agronomy of, of previous times. And yeah. 
Um, not to say that we're going back, but more to say that there's a whole bunch of, it seems like there's a whole bunch we left, uh, with, we left along the way, and we can pick that back up and then keep going along that trajectory. It seems like we're going to need to be, we're going to need to hustle if we're going to survive. <laughs> and we have everything we need, and we just need to get our butts in gear. Yeah. No, I think, you know, oh. I'm, you know I welcome the climate change <laughs> and everything else. I think... Um, it's what is going to cause us to, to do what we need to do. Um, and, um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's totally exciting. It's totally exciting. And this is the Phoenix that's going to rise from the ashes of the old system. As far as I'm concerned is the, I think the homesteading lifestyle is, you know, is, it's <laughs> much better than than a lot of them out there, and it's totally doable. I say occupy the land, you know, um, get out of the system and 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 uh, occupy the land. And and the issue is that a lot of people don't have farming in the last couple of generations and don't have a lot of the practical skills. So how can we support that through demonstration sites and events and videos and conferences and logistics and all that kind of stuff? So that's really what we're trying to do organizationally is is provide that support for people to to get into get into farming but but do it intelligently and um, set the stage for success through through working strategically with nature well there you go working strategically with nature in these times thank you Dan thank you all and um, <laughs> please keep in mind that as you're pursuing your pursuits the Many ways in which your observations of this year and next year can inform the direction that your agronomy proceeds in. Please keep a journal, everybody. Notice when, when, the, when the things are happening. When are the buds breaking? When are the frogs coming back? When are the birds, different bird species all of a sudden showing up? If the more you notice, the more you're going to be entering the mind, um, the mind of the adapter. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. I look forward to uh, talking to you more and maybe meeting, meeting someday. In the human flesh. I look forward to it. Yes, face-to-face. Nothing like it. <laughs> Bye. All right. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.